how to start. Well, you know, it's just writing. I mean, here's something important to remember about dialogue. Every word matters. No, it doesn't. They're modern. I want to go to this place that I think it needs to go to. The only thing that counts is what you see on the screen. I will write like four or five, six hours a day. And it will be a voice made of ink and rage. Okay, I'm, re I'm really glad you asked me that question. Welcome to Creative Principles. I'm your host, Brock Swinson. In this podcast, I'll be speaking with writers, directors, actors, musicians, and more, where we'll be discussing the habits, routines, and methods of a creative life. This episode is brought to you by FreelancerClass.com. At FreelancerClass, you can learn how to become a freelancer full-time or part-time. The online course will teach you how to make money as a writer, marketer, graphic designer, virtual assistant, or an accountant from the comfort of your own home. Make a little extra money or replace your income at FreelancerClass.com. Writer-director Jake Goldberg discusses his new film, Almost Friends. In the movie, Freddie Highmore's character Charlie is an unmotivated man in his mid-twenties, still living at home with his mother, when he falls in love with a young woman who has a serious boyfriend. Goldberger discusses the importance of being both the writer and director, avoiding genres as well as expectations, and films that should not be pigeonholed. I've always wanted to make movies since I was, you know, since as far back I can remember, since I think I saw Mary Poppins when I was three years old. Uh, writing was not, it was always something I did as a hobby, but I was not, it wasn't something I was planning on doing in the future. I always wanted to direct, but I don't know if I knew what that meant at the time, but, but for me, writing as a means of directing was, was how I got into it. What was your first film you came out with? The first film I made is a movie called Don McKay with Tom Satan Church and Elizabeth Shue and Melissa Leo and a bunch of other people. You know, I'm, I'm fans of Keith David, Pruitt Taylor Vince, and Emmett Walsh. Um, so that was the first one. That was 2010. Mm -hmm. How did that come about? How did you kind of raise the money and, and get those actors involved in everything? You know, that took so many years. I had, I had written the screenplay and I had decided to hire a casting director um, to just give me a chance in hell of uh, being able to, to get, you know, actors. My plan at, the, at that time was to hire a casting director and try to get an actor who I felt would actually talk to me as a first time director. And, and this was before, again, Twitter and Facebook, this is before you could really reach out to people in ways that, that people do. There was a real construct to it. You, you had to be very professional about it. It's not like now where you can just look at your, look at your famous, you know, a actor that you've always looked up to and just, just throw them questions on a public forum. So the actors I had approached were, were actors that I felt, I would have a chance with, and they wouldn't even read the script or talk to me or have anything to do with me. And then we threw a Hail Mary pass to Thomas Hayden Church, and it was the miracle. You know, it was, it was still the most important thing that's ever happened to me career-wise is that the day he got nominated for an Oscar for Sideways, my phone rings that night. It's Jake. I go, yeah, I guess it's Thomas Church here. I read your script. I love it, man. I said, is this actually happening? I mean, it was like stepping out. of <laughs> It really was. It was so surreal. <laughs> And he and I talked for a couple hours. We had a great conversation. He totally got what I was going for. And, and he said, listen, I'm, I'm going to stick with you and we're going to do this. And that's exactly what happened. It took years from that point on, but he never wavered. So I owe him for that forever. 
What kind of, was there anything else involved? Or was it just really the, the story? What captivated him or what kind of got the ball rolling? With Don McKay, it was, he and I were both fans of, of movies like Double Indemnity and obviously the Coen Brothers movies and, and kind of the melding of the genres. So for, for that, and it's a strange movie, but it is, the attempt was to make something that was both noirish and kind of, uh, or not kind of, but legitimately comedic at, at moments. And that it's a hard, it's a hard balance to find. Uh, I don't know if I found it completely. I'd probably do a better job with that material now than I did then. But he, he and I both respond to that sort of thing. You know, Thomas is very, very educated cinematically and otherwise, but he really knows what he's talking about. It's crazy. I mean, you could, you could talk to him about everything from, you know, you know, Citizen Kane to, to Meatballs 3, and he's going to be able to talk to him about it. Uh, and uh, so we, we hit it off on that level. We had, we both enjoyed the references. We were trying to, um, I don't want to say imitate, but trying to pay homage to. Uh, but we were trying to do something different also and kind of side spin it and do something screwy and weird. And, and that's what we did. And so you're listed as a writer and director on, on all three of these films. Do you see yourself as more one or the other, or do you see it as two parts of the whole? I see it as two parts of the whole. For me, you know, I've, I've looked at other, other scripts that I haven't written to, that I could direct, and I've come close on some. But again, if I'm not doing my own, and this is just my experience thus far, but if I'm not doing my own thing with it, it would be hard for me to want to move forward with it. That's not to say I wouldn't. It's just I haven't found anything yet that I've responded to as a director as much as the things I've written. And as also when you're writing, you are writing for your own sensibilities, regardless of of which of those sensibilities there are. Does that make sense? You're you know you're trying you're seeing you're setting up the material, and then you know how you're going to shoot it to some degree, so you can you can speak with authority to the crew you surround yourself with when it's time to make a movie. Did you write these films in the order that that we're seeing them in? It seems like almost Friends could have even been written earlier. It's kind of an adolescent story. It is an adolescent story. No, I wrote that after Don McKay. And and Life of the King, the first draft of Life of the King was written by two other guys. I came in and did a page one rewrite, and then that's that's with my producer, Jim Young, who's produced all three of my movies. But he... uh, so it would be unfair for me to take credit, full credit for Life of a King um, and to say that. But, but in terms of the order, you actually do see them in the order that they were written. I, uh, they're all three very, very, very different movies, completely different. And, and that was the idea. I didn't want to do the same thing twice, especially when we're not talking about necessarily down the middle commercial ideas. You know, I, I prefer to, to go a different route than than just what expectations are at, at that moment in time for genres that people happen to love at, at the time, you know. Almost Friends is definitely a, a character piece. Where did the idea originally come from? I was always a fan. As You know, I'm a movie freak. I love all genres, so I try to pick and choose movies that I like from all of them. And I was always a fan of those of the Cameron Crowe early movies, Say Anything in Singles, and, and another movie that inspired this was Noah Baumbach's first film, Kicking and Screaming which I think I wore the VHS out on when I first seen it. I, I really, I, I think for me, and this is just my opinion, but we've gotten to a point now where, where the quote unquote hook, you know, movies are so, you know, no longer is the hook accommodating the movie, but the movie needs to accommodate the hook. And I just didn't want to do that. I wanted to do something that was a character piece and meandering and, and more like 
some of these fits like kicking and screaming, say anything, films that you didn't need to necessarily pigeonhole as, as, you know, this is what it's about. It's about a lot of things, hopefully, you know, if I did my job right on it. When did Freddie Highmore come onto the piece? He's got a lot of, a lot of television credits right now. That's really kind of blowing him up. When did he sign on for this film? He signed on. This was two years ago. He and I had a great conversation. You know, I put a list together of the type of people I would like for this. And his name was at the top of the list. His manager read it. She really responded to it. So her and I talked and then he and I Skyped because he was working on a miniseries over, I, I, I think it was Vancouver, but I can't remember. He and I connected. We hit it off. He really understood the character and understood what I was trying to do. And in terms of the the television with The Good Doctor, it's just really, really great timing that that, that has taken off the way it has. You know, it, it was I did not want to work with Freddie based on his TV credits so much as I wanted to work with him based on his movie credits and and some of the things he had done just since he was a little kid all the way up. I've always respected his work. I've always thought he was he, he had what I was looking for. And he's a great uh, just a great guy. He's just one of the best uh, in terms of I've worked with personality-wise. He's just such a sweet guy and just immensely talented. So the character, um, Charlie, is kind of a, a shy, uh, great cook, and he's got a lot of talents that are kind of hidden. What was the original spark for that character? I was sitting in a coffee shop on Hillhurst in Los Angeles, and I had a writing assignment for a writing workshop I was taking at the time. Uh, we had to write the first 10 pages of a screenplay. And I'll be honest with you, my <laughs> I was completely blocked. I had no idea what I was going to write. You know, I was going to go into some sci-fi robot thing. That I, <laughs> I was just, at the time, my brain was all over the place. And all of a sudden, this kid walks in, much like he does in this movie, and has this awkward, this sweet but awkward and very nervous conversation with the young woman who was working behind the counter. And, <laughs> and I transcribed it right then and there. And I mean, this went on for a couple of minutes. It was painful. It was, it was awkward. It wasn't just a quick exchange. And I transcribed it. And then I went home and I rewrote that conversation. I stretched it out to 10 pages in the final movie. It's only a couple of pages, but I just as an exercise and I presented it at this writing workshop and everyone seemed to be into it. So I decided to keep going with it and try to try to imagine what these characters lives were outside of that situation. And it just branched out from there. And, and this is the movie I wrote. I like that there's a situation that where she has to follow him because you assume when she walks in or he walks in, he's going to talk to you know whoever the cashier is. But it's actually the other girl. It's, it's a very interesting way to present the two characters. Where did the idea for the her cousin that she's living with come from? He's a very unique character in this film as well. I had a friend growing up who was a lot like a very very smart guy, but but was also one of these passive aggressive people that just can't can't say just doesn't have that internal interest to say or do the right thing at the right time but it's is always has to be conflicting real pop culture person and i had based it on him but that that's really the only autobiographical aspect of this entire movie funny enough but but i do love the character and i love jake abel who played him he played him very very well and exactly like this person is so that's where it came from and I think as a viewer, um, I'm trying to figure out Christopher Maloney's character the entire film of, of Howard. Um, the first thought is, why is he dressed the way he is? But you kind of figure out, I think it's like a con man mentality. Where did that character come from? I don't know. That's a good question. I invented, I really don't. I invented, I, I knew, I don't want to give away where, where it goes, but I knew that's where I wanted it to go. And, uh, and I just, I, I've asked myself where that one comes from. I don't know, my imagination. 
I, I guess the same place in my first movie, a, a lonely janitor comes from. I can't answer specifically where, but somewhere, somewhere in my sick brain. <laughs> after you ca- after you cast these characters, do any of the actors influence or change who the character is on paper or anything like that? I like to have as many discussions as possible with the actors leading up. And on a small movie, it's not like you're getting six months to go over and over and over. You're getting a couple weeks, and sometimes on a couple of the films I've made, you're getting a couple days, uh, and other times even less than that to have discussions. But I I want to stick to the playbook. In thematically with what we're doing, but if somebody wants to, once we get it done the way I want it to get done, then I'm happy to give a couple extra takes and talk about, you know, the idea with, with a movie like this is you want it to feel off the cuff and improvisational. You want it to feel like a real conversation that could happen if a camera wasn't in these actors' faces. So if I'm feeling things are too mechanical or too quote unquote actorly, I'll say that and we'll, and we'll go again and we'll do it until it feels more natural. Again, when you're on an 18-day shoot, you can't be Stanley Kubrick. But but you know you're doing what you can to try to elicit the most human, natural performances. And the BS detector goes off if if that's not the case. So I make sure that that we get it the way I know it should be, regardless if it's their initial idea or mine. I know at the end of the day that we got it, and the arc of the character too. So according to IMDb, you've you've made three films since two thousand nine. Um, you're still relatively like fresh into the in the world. What kind of advice would you give a driven writer or filmmaker about to enter the business? The same thing you hear from everybody, which is keep writing and and don't let you know don't let don't let these guys get you down. You know, it's you take so many frying pans to the face when you're doing this, and same for actors and and same for anybody in this business. You're just you're getting, you know, 98% of the time you're in the fetal position taking a frying pan to the face, but it's about that 2%. When you see your opportunities, just believe in yourself and have the confidence to to say, you know what, this can get done. Be collaborative. Don't be an egomaniac, but, but do believe in yourself and stay focused. No matter what anyone says to you, just stay focused on, if you believe in the project you're trying to get made, devote yourself to it. There's, there'll be some sacrifices you have to make, but just devote yourself and stay laser focused on it no matter what. Cause in this market also things are changing so quickly, just from distribution to genres that people like to the way we communicate about these movies. So if you feel passionate about what you're doing, try to put your blinders on and ignore it and, and just keep moving forward towards your target as, as much as you humanly can. Do you have any piece of like, you know, the worst recommendation you've heard or or common bad advice in your field? I think part of what's scary about all of this is it's not necessarily common bad advice. There's lots of different pieces of bad advice. You know, it's the blind leading the blind. Try, Try to identify the people who are smart and know what they are talking about, because there's a lot of people who are not smart and do not know what they are talking about, but they're good hustlers and they have the whole kind of Hollywood shuffle thing going on. Really. Try to ask the important questions and identify which people can legitimately help you and which people cannot. And there are a lot more that cannot than can. So so a lot of it is about your intuition as a human versus intuition as a business person. You know, you, you'll be able to sift through that. But a lot of people have are trying to accommodate themselves and trying to make money and trying to do this and that. And, and there's nothing wrong with making money. Trust me, I, I get it. But you know, you didn't get into this. If you're passionate about it, you didn't get into it solely for the money. You got into it because you want to tell stories. 
Um, since you began with Don McKay, have any of your beliefs, behaviors, or habits changed or improved over over time? I think with with Don McKay, the first one, I was so uh, obsessive as a writer that that I probably made some mistakes as a director. And I think it's important if we're talking about two different things to to once it's on paper and once you're moving forward with it. For me, at least, I think part of the improvements of the last two movies, even though I love Don McKay also, but I think I was more able to to come at it from a slightly different angle and to accommodate different different aspects of it. So, but as a writer, no, I think I think as you're learning, you know, no matter what field you're in, you, you should be steadily improving every day to, to some degree, whether you're active or not. You know, just in in how you handle yourself. Um, on working on these films, has there been something that seemed like a failure or an apparent failure that ended up being a success or teaching you something? And, and can you elaborate on that? Yes. Uh, again, on the first movie, you don't know what you are necessarily doing as well as after you've done it. You know, it's it's so editorially, I've, I learned a lot in terms of on set. Now I understand exactly what it is that I'm getting, what I need. There's not as much, say, chaos. First time around, you, when you don't have any experience doing anything, then your your imagination sometimes can take over, and as opposed to the reality of the situation. So, practice makes perfect. Uh, at least in my case, I feel that that each movie has steadily, you know, improved craft wise because I've done it already. So. If there's ever a moment, either as a writer or director, where you found you feel um, overwhelmed or unfocused, what do you do to kind of get back in the swing of things? The, the well, it's, it's as a writer, it's a little different because as a writer, you have you have a million chances to get it right. You know what I'm saying? Like you, you can you're sitting there. It's very solitary. You're by yourself, and you can you can do many things without you know without consequence as long as you eventually get it to the place you want to get it when you're directing a movie you know these three films the first was 19 days life of a king the chess movie is 15 days and this last one was 18 days so you have to there are no second chances if you don't get something it's not in the movie there's no pickups there's no nothing so i think it's about learning how to do that uh, how to think fast on your feet and how to know what's going to work and having the confidence to know what's going to work down the line because once it's in the can, you know, once you're done with that day and you move locations, forget about it. That's it. There's, there, you know, when you're making a movie in 18 days, there are no second chances for it. Thank you so much for tuning into the show. Before you leave, don't forget to sign up for the newsletter to get your free download of the ebook, How Hollywood Screenwriters Annihilate Writer's Block, which includes advice from writers such as Aaron Sorkin, William Monahan, and Carrie Fukunaga. The newsletter will also keep you up to date on future episodes, new articles, and more. Sign up at brockswinson.com, B-R-O-C-K-S-W-I-N-S-O-N.com.